0: I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. No not let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com is where we post deals, bargains for you around the clock so you can stretch every dollar. So... Coming up in just a little while, if you are an Amazon shopper, there's something that people do to save money when they shop on Amazon, and Amazon hates it and is sending out lies to people to get you to stop using it. It's today's Clark rage. I'm going to tell you what you need to know to save money on Amazon, and they're not going to like me telling you. And coming up yet later, three years ago, I told you that I would experiment and doing investing with Lending Club and Prosper, which are peer-to-peer lending sites, not as a borrower, but as an investor. And I want to give you an update three years in. Has this been good or a waste of my time and my money? I'll give you my exact picture. So right now, I want to talk to you about something that came out recently that is a very important counterpoint to something I shared with you in November. In November, I told you about how people are so down on college and saying that college is not worth it, that people should avoid going to college, has been like a school of thought lately. That was a bad pun. And So I gave stats how much more someone earns over a working lifetime with a four-year college degree versus not having a four-year college degree. And this wasn't just comparing high school to a four-year college degree. This was any level of education less than a four-year college degree. And the numbers I share with you were gigantically different. And I want to give a new counterpoint that is really important to think about and it was a study done by the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. You're not familiar, the Federal Reserve has branch banks around the country and they each have their own staff, so economists, and their job is to see how economic conditions are in their area of the country. But then they'll do some of the Various regional banks will do studies like this one on college, and I've got a link at Clark.com if you want some real meat on these bones about it, but the thing was in the study, it didn't find that the case for college was a slam dunk if you borrowed a lot of money for college, that when you look down the road, people who borrowed very heavily to go to college end up with a pretty measly net worth down the road because so much money that they make ends up going to service student loan debt, the interest and the principal of those loans. So what it convinces me of even more is that going to the it college and having to borrow huge amounts of money to do it is not worth it. That, you know, if you're a long-time listener to me, you know that I went partially through undergraduate school on my own, working full-time and going to college at night, and then completely through graduate school doing that. And keeping the costs down was essential to my education. And I didn't go to top-tier schools. And there's something that that snobs will talk about, and that's, oh, she went to a directional college, or he went to a directional college. Well, I went to a directional college for grad school, and I got a great education. That's when it has a descriptor, uh, western, eastern, southern, northern, south. West, area, whatever, with blah, 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 state, whatever. So know that what really ultimately matters is the education you get, and that when you graduate, you're not burdened with the weight of all those student loans. I have not changed my opinion at all about the value of a college education. But I stick to what I've said through the years, and that is, if you graduate from college with less than the amount of student loan debt compared to what you'll earn in the first year on a job, you're going to be fine. Did I, say, I didn't say that as clearly as I could. Let's say you anticipate your first year on a job, you're going to make $30,000 after you finish college, or 40000 or whatever based on your course of study, or 50, whatever it is, that that is the ceiling on how much you borrow for school. Because when people get into trouble is when the amount of student loan debt they have is far in excess of typical annual earnings for a job. Because you can handle fine whittling down and paying off in a very reasonable period of years an amount equal to what you might earn when you first get out of school, but you start getting double, triple, or more than that, then you got big problems. Derek is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Derek. Hi. How are you? Great, thank you, Derek. You have a question for me about an older luxury car you've got. What's the scoop?
1: Okay, so I, I just just uh, last week purchased a 2014 luxury vehicle and i took it to my mechanic and had um, him look at it and he highly recommended um, even with only having 70,000 miles on it which you know is pretty normal if you if you look at the numbers based on the vehicle being about six years old um, actually that's very
0: low mileage for a six-year-old vehicle
1: Oh, is it really? Okay, because yeah. I was basing it on like, you know, twelve, thirteen thousand 13,000 miles per year. E- either way, he highly recommended because it's a, you know, it's a luxury vehicle that I get a warranty on it.
0: So with a six-year-old so look- vehicle, the problem with a six-year-old vehicle is the manufacturer of that vehicle, uh, it would be surprising if they'll write you uh, extended service contract, extended warranty on their vehicle with that number of years and that number of miles.
1: So, are there any companies in the in in an you know aftermarket that would offer an extended warranty on a car like this? Did
2: is,
0: I is that I trust.
1: <laughs> okay, that's that's exactly why I was calling you. Um, yeah, the third party
0: know, warranty market is littered with broken promises and yep. money that vanishes. That's exactly what I thought. It's really, really um, virtually impossible to find a third-party warranty that is going to be worth the paper it's written on. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, you have to be prepared when you buy a German luxury vehicle that anything that goes wrong is going to be very expensive to fix. Right. Right. And I, I don't know if you ever heard me tell the story about this guy who has um, these independent repair shops. that now I think he's got like six of them that mm-hmm. he, the early part of his career was a Toyota mechanic with mm-hmm. an independent shop. And he realized he could never make any money fixing Toyotas because they don't break a lot. And the Toyota <laughs> buyer isn't going to pay big money for repairs. So yeah. he switched to doing German automobiles. And now he's making a fortune. Great. Great to hear, Clark. So so just know that's I mean, it's the truth. I mean, uh, no, you I don't, don't want me to lie to you, right? No, not at all. That's the reason why I was calling you. Yeah. you. So uh, know that, that you bought something that is going to be fun to drive, but not so fun when something does go wrong.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I was kind of prepared for that because he warned me about that, too. Um, so, And you right, could ask okay. him,
0: is this an independent mechanic or is this at a dealership?
1: No, this is an independent.
0: You can ask him if there actually is a third-party warranty that he has found lives up to its promises and pays him promptly for repairs. And when he picks himself off the floor laughing, no, he may actually have one, but I, I doubt it. But that would be, and that's where the proof would be here's somebody who depends on the income, and he'll know which ones actually do what they say they're going to do. Ed is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ed. Hi, Clark. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Ed. You have a question for me about something that I've talked about on the air and we've had a number of questions about. Hit me with it.
2: Oh, yeah. So last week, I found some information about myself online uh, on mylife.com and wanted it removed. So I went to your website and used the first generic email to ask them to remove it. But when I did that, they came back and said that I needed to send them a scanned copy of my driver's license. Right
0: freaks you uh, it out, so doesn't fo- it?
2: Oh, yeah. That was pretty crazy. So I followed the second uh, email template that you gave um, that was a little more strongly worded, and they came back and said, oh, no worries. We will remove your information. Please allow 24 hours. Uh, problem is it's been probably four additional days at this point, and the information is still there. So... One, wanted to let you know they're asking for people to send in their driver's license, and two, they're still not removing the information.
0: Okay. Now, their excuse on the non-removal is that they're overwhelmed because of California's new privacy law that gives people in California the right to essentially be forgotten, that websites are still trying to figure out how to implement the law that went into effect two weeks ago. And don't have the staff yet or the procedures yet, or uh, maybe because you're not a Californian, they're not really excited about helping you. Right. So I would like for you to be part of our team and keep pursuing this and report back to us on what actually transpires and do they eventually remove your information that you've asked to be made private.
2: Yeah, I'll be happy to help out.
0: But the reality is California has done something really important, and that is we in the United States should have the rights that people do in many other countries, uh, dozens of countries in the world, where a website just can't willy-nilly collect information on you and use it and distribute it and sell it however they want that you have the right to control the information about you that's out there. And we should have a a federal law that does just that. And I'm hopeful because the big tech companies are no longer popular in Washington with either political party. And so I hope that there will be new restrictions put in place that will control what Facebook – or Google, or anybody else does with data mining information about us, that we should have the right to control it. But I'd like you to continue to be a guinea pig and let us know how you're able to do with my life removing your information. Yeah, sounds good, and I'll keep you in the loop. Perfect. And the driver's license thing, did I mention why they do that? No, you did not. Okay, so the reason that they and many other sites want a copy of your driver's license is to verify that you really are the individual who's making a request to them. And so that is why many are asking for that. And Kim, you have something to add to that.
2: Yeah, um, I was just going to say, even though they're asking, you don't have to give it. Which he did not do. Exactly, which I think is wonderful. But I just wanted to make sure that others know that as well, that if they follow up and ask you to give your driver's license, you don't have to. There's other ways to go about it. And I also wanted to offer the suggestion to call them because that's how I ended up getting myself removed. And it was very simple.
0: And how long did it take before your information was wiped?
2: That is another thing I wanted to add. Thank you for bringing that up. It actually took about 10 days. So I would say sit tight for another week or so, and then if it's still not removed,
0: give them a call. Great. Thank you, Kim. And yeah. Ed, stay in touch with us. Today's Clark Rages moment just makes me chuckle, and it's frustrating too. Amazon, as you know, has changed its business model. If you don't know this, you should know. They are no longer about being the lowest price. Everything about Amazon is convenience. My wife wanted a particular herbal thingy, and uh, I was picking up a prescription, and she asked me to get it, bring it home. Well, the drugstore I was in didn't have it. And then we went on Amazon, and they had like 40 choices for it. And so the availability of things that may not be easily and readily available, they're really good at. The deliveries, they're good at deliveries. But pricing they're no longer good at, and they're really starting to get nervous about people doing comparison shopping and realizing that Amazon's not cheap on a lot of things anymore. So there's a product a lot of people use When they're shopping on Amazon, it's what's known as a browser extension called Honey. It's one I've recommended you use. I've also recommended Camel, Camel, Camel. Well, Amazon is so freaked out about people realizing how much at Amazon is not a deal that they are lying to people and have said that Honey is not safe for you to use and you should deinstall it. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Because you can buy new pants on Amazon if yours catch on fire. Anyway, so this is a big fat lie. Don't listen to Amazon. Listen to me if you've not downloaded Honey and you are an Amazon shopper. Use it and Camel, Camel, Camel to figure out when something really is a deal or not. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money each and every day. So I need to give a little bit of background. We have received over the years quite a bit of calls from people wanting to know about investing with Prosper.com and LendingClub.com. These are what are known as peer-to-peer lenders. Where instead of going to a bank to borrow money when you need it, you go to Lending Club or Prosper to borrow money. They then check your credit, you state what you want the loan for, how long you want, have it outstanding for, and how much money you want to borrow. And then people decide if they're going to fund your loan or not. But nobody funds your whole loan. People end up doing little pieces of it. There are... There are all kinds of um, groups online that share knowledge with each other to make more money on Prosper and Lending Club. But I wanted to see, based on the huge number of calls I was getting, if it was really a legitimate way to make more money or not lose money versus putting money in savings accounts or CD's. So I, three years ago, put $5,000 into Lending Club, $5,000 into Prosper. But instead of picking the individual loans I would make, I let them use an automated system and chose the level of risk I was willing to take with the loans that I was making. And so with my loans... Let me see, I got one of them here. I was doing a relatively low-risk portfolio of loans. So uh, 50% of my loans with each, Lending Club and Prosper, were going to very low-risk borrowers, people who had uh, good to fantastic credit scores. And then the other half, I spread out, not with people with terrible, terrible credit scores, but with people that were subprime borrowers. So half, Mm -hmm. extremely low-risk borrowers, and half people that were varying levels of risk. And here I am three years later, and how much am I making on my money? My actual Net return through the first three years, as annualized, has been one one-hundredth of a point different with the two of them, one 4.76, the other 4.77%. So not exactly money to jump for joy about, but obviously more than I could earn in savings or CDs, but with the risk that has been very clear and real, people who don't pay their notes have to be written off. So if you go back in time, I had, if I remember right, the first year, I had a plus 7%, 7 7-point-something percent return with both of them. Second year, it dropped into the low sixes, And now, as loans have gotten older and older, and more and more people have defaulted on them, I'm now at roughly four and three quarters percent with each. So, not a terrible return on my money. I certainly overall have netted positive with my money. I've made money, but not an exceedingly large amount of money. But by going in the portfolio I have gone into, my risk level is also extremely low. A lot of the people who work the message boards and learn from each other use a statistical analysis to put their money in higher risk loans that their modeling says are less likely to default. And this is not people doing the automated thing like I'm doing, they're actually picking and choosing which loans to fund. So this has been kind of a bland thing for me, but the trend has not been my friend with the net return I'm making as the loans age getting lower and lower. So I have made money, but not a great deal of money, and there you have it. It still remains a great place for you to potentially borrow money cheaper than you can borrow it elsewhere because it cuts the banks out of the middle of it. And so that is something you'll hear me say to somebody who's looking to borrow money, hey, have you checked out what you can borrow money at on Lending Club and Prosper? Arlen is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Arlen. Hello, Clark. Appreciate you taking my call. Well, great to have you here. You have an investment question for me, don't you?
1: Yes, sir. A friend suggested putting money in a life insurance retirement plan or LERP. Uh, If what he says is factual, a LERP seems too good to be true. Is a LERP a good idea or mostly just a scam?
0: Well, it's not a scam, but it is not something that is... Too good to be true. Tell me exactly what you were told about why a life insurance retirement plan would be great for you to do.
1: Uh, the general gist was it would provide a guaranteed return
0: in a, in a range.
1: And then when I pull the money out later while I'm collecting Social Security, it would be tax free and not count as income uh, when they're calculating the taxability of Social Security.
0: All right, so these these have been hot in the last year um, in various flavors, including various indexed annuity products, that the idea is we've had a 11-year run with the stock market that's been great. And the market um, over uh, the initial period of recovery from the stock market bust last decade tripled And since then, it's gone up again, so basically quadrupled for many of the indexes you'd look at over the last 11 years, and people are getting nervous, you know, that the market's ready for a fall, and so people are looking for safety, and that's where these pitches are coming from. But what you're told is that it's stock investing without risk. And let me deal with that part first. So the insurance company in return for you, giving them money in uh, various forms of life insurance or annuities, that they say that if the market collapses, we guarantee that you'll get back at least what you put into it. That's kind of what you've been told, right? Right.
1: Yeah, well, and and they say I'm going to get a type
0: of return as well. Okay, so on the return, what they do is each year you get only a portion that is capped of the return in the market. So the market tends to gyrate. So if uh, the market will go up large amounts in very short periods of time and typically in a year, and then... Um, It's a very infrequent thing that you have a big run-up in a year. But you only get a tiny portion of that, and you don't get the credit for dividends, which historically dividends, depending on the time period you look at, are a third to a half of the actual stock market return. So it's a simulation of the stock market more than it really is the stock market. The idea of it is that it eliminates downside risk if you jump through all the hoops required. And there are several rules that each of them have in extremely long legalistic contracts about what things you have to do and when you have access to money and how much of it you have access to, to be able to benefit from the no-loss guarantee. The other thing is you're you're stuck in it for a good while. But the biggest thing you said is that you get the money tax free, right? Correct. How did you, how did they tell you you get the money tax free? It's like an overfunded life insurance plan. You borrow then, money from your own policy. Right. So with life insurance, one of the benefits that Congress permits is you can borrow against the cash value of a life insurance policy and you don't pay tax on the money you've pulled out unless you never pay it back, and then potentially there's tax involved. So these are very, very behind the scenes. They're very expensive policies to own. The underlying costs in them in commissions and expenses are gigantic. And so you have to know that's part of the drill. And then the rules and restrictions on when you have access to the money are very, very stringent. You got to know exactly what those are. So they, these are not something that's like, what could ever go wrong? Or uh, this sounds like the greatest thing ever. And that's how they're pitched. But it's not really an accurate picture. So it is kind of a scam. It's not a scam. <laughs> it definitely is not a scam. It's just they are over promised and they under deliver. And there are restrictions on them that are very significant and important that you have to know not what the salesperson pitches, but what's in the contract is all the law cares about. Jack is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hello, Jack. Hello, thank you uh, for having me on. Absolutely, Jack. I understand you are a teenager. Yes, I'm 14. And you are an experienced stock market investor already. Is that accurate?
1: Uh, Somewhat. I guess I've been investing for about two or three years, yeah.
0: Love that. Well, how can I help a fellow investor but one who's 50 years younger than I am?
1: (laughs) You don't sound like it, though. You don't look like it either. Um, Well, thank you. <laughs> um anyway um so yeah so I just want to know some uh, good uh maybe long-term stocks or stock advice uh for the future because uh in the past I've invested in certain major electronic uh company stocks um and you know tech stocks and all the time you know I know they're risky so I just want to know some that I can maybe leave it, leave alone for a while
0: Okay great question and I'm going to give you an answer Completely opposite of the question you asked me. All right. One of the most brilliant investing minds in modern American history is Charles Schwab, who has that big investment house with his own name on it. And he is a huge believer in something that I believe as well, that you do core and explore. And the idea is that the first of your money – should go into index funds. You familiar with the term index funds? I believe so. It's where you Uh own little tiny pieces of hundreds or thousands of companies. Okay. And I like for you to look at the total stock market index or broad market index where you'll own little pieces typically of several thousand American companies. You start there where you build your long-term portfolio on dullness just owning capitalism. And then beyond that, you buy individual stocks that matter to you. That's the explore part that you believe in. Because I never am into, I'm going to make all my money on this stock or that stock or anything like that. I want to use individual stocks just as a way to uh, go into things that I believe in but there's more and more risk as you go more and more into individual stocks. So is you uh are you working yet at a job where you can do a Roth IRA? Um yeah, I started working uh
1: it, well, part time, I guess, yeah.
0: Great. So a Roth is where I'd like you to get to and you can do index funds in it or you can do something known as a target retirement fund at fourteen. You'd be looking at one that's if there's a twenty seventy fund available yet. Or 2065, or something like that. That's where you put your money. That would be a method of doing the core I was talking about. And then within it, you want, since there's no trading fees anymore, there's individual tech stocks you're interested in. Buy those. But your base starts with being well diversified and then buy what you believe in after that. Calvin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Calvin. Hello, Clark. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Calvin. You have one of those ultra-expensive Chase Sapphire cards, don't you?
1: Yes, I do. I'm a Chase Sapphire Reserve card holder.
0: I um,
2: you know, it's going up
0: to 550 bucks a year from $450. Exactly. it still worth it? Depends on how much you travel. I'd say if somebody travels... Um, 12 flights a year or more, you know, the equivalent of one flight a month, with the benefits you get from the Sapphire Reserve or the American Express competitor called Platinum, that also is $550 a year, that seems idiotic to people who don't travel. Like, why would anybody ever do it? But the benefits that, like, with the American Express you get with Uber and the... Uh, Chase Sapphire Reserve you get with Lyft and mm-hmm. um, Chase has the new thing. Have you seen they've got something with DoorDash now? DoorDash, yes. Do you ever order from them? Well, once a while, not very frequent. So that one would be one you'd have to you'd have to really like to order from them and have food delivered to you for that mm-hmm. to be a consideration. But the other things, the free lounges. In the airports, that by itself, what you have to pay for lounge access otherwise is worth it for somebody who takes 12 or more flights a year.
1: Yeah, here's the thing I don't travel a lot, but I do redeem their points. I'm one of those like uh, people who are enrolled. The Chase Sapphire uh, Reserve car, uh, when they first roll out, uh, we had great, uh, they give out great bonuses.
0: How many times do you fly a year? I would say just one or two. Oh, most. oh, then take your points you got for signing up, use mm-hmm. them, and mm-hmm. then don't renew the card. Or switch to the other Sapphire card, which is, um, what's that one called? The one that's $99, is that Preferred?
1: Preferred, yes, yeah. Sapphire Preferred.
0: Yeah, so I would make that switch. From You don't want to pay $550 a year when you're only flying a couple of times a year. It's not worth it for you. Use those points and then dump them. Well, not the points. Dump the card and don't pay them that kind of money because it's flat out not a deal for you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.